It's great to see you in the building. It's great to acknowledge that you're watching online. I particularly want to acknowledge you if you're watching from the Hebrides, because we had a very nice letter from a lady who does watch every Sunday from the Hebrides, and uh, it was such encouragement for us to feel that we were helping to you where you're in quite a remote place. So if you're watching today, thanks for writing. Um, we've been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, and the point of the series has been how does the things that Jesus made a priority for our prayer become part of our lives so that we really live them out? And the Lord's Prayer, in some ways, is, partners very well with the Sermon on the Mount. It, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be in a relationship with God where we know him as Father, where he provides for our needs, where he forgives our sins where he calls us to be part of his mission as we um, forgive others and the one who delivers us from evil. So this is our last Sunday on that and we're going to just take the doxology for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Which actually isn't in the best original versions of Matthew's gospel but was the doxology that maybe the church kind of added as a bit of a summing up of everything that Jesus said. And they said it from the earliest centuries of the church. As they took this prayer as a model prayer, they would pray that, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And in many ways, those phrases sum up the Lord's prayer. For yours is the kingdom. Jesus is the one who taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like God's will being done on earth, God's justice God's rule, God's salvation. And for Jesus, his message was a message of the kingdom. He preached the kingdom. So when we say to, to, to God, your kingdom come, and yours is the kingdom, then we're saying, as we finish the Lord's Prayer, if you like, that no other kingdom can compete with your kingdom, that the dazzle of the worldly kingdoms that we're surrounded by cannot com compete with your kingdom. And in fact, everything ultimately belongs to you. You made the whole of creation. You made all that is. Every good and perfect gift come from you, God. And so when we say yours is the kingdom, we're just rightfully acknowledging our status as people who depend utterly on you and who are in our right place when we're acknowledging that you are our king. And yours is the power. Again, for Jesus... Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. He said, if I, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus was someone who laid aside his power, but as the perfect um, human being, if you like, as well as the Son of God, lived in the power of God and recognized that everything came from God and could be offered back to him. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, then we're ourselves recognizing that without your power, God, we can't do very much. We can't save ourselves. Our right position is people who depend on your power, not our own power. So yours is power, and yours is the glory. And we might find it a bit harder to articulate what that's all about, and indeed what glory is. So glory has two meanings in English. And in Greek, and I think in Hebrew too. And, and they're, they're kind of linked with one another. But the first um, meaning of glory is renown, honor, praise. 
You know, when, when you give glory to someone, you say about what a fabulous, amazing, extraordinary human being they are. Or sometimes around a football team. When I was young, I lived in Leeds. For those who can remember that far back, it was the Don Revy era. Leeds United were the team in the land. And we used to sing, glory, glory, Leeds United! Because there was a glory at the renown of that team. I mean, they wore white as well, so dazzling. Anyway, no, but but that, that's what we, we say about, about glory, isn't it? It's, it's about praise. It's about, um, yeah, reputation. But there's something else that, that glory means, and that actually means radiance. Something that is a splendor, that is like the splendor of the sun. In fact, we use that phrase glory. We might talk about a glorious sunset. If you've been in the UK or anywhere on holiday, you've probably witnessed some fantastic sunsets this year, haven't we? And when you see the sun going down over the sea, you think, what a glorious sunset or a glorious sunrise. There's a brightness, a radiance, that glory means that. And, and the glory of God is the radiance that comes from him. That actually is so intense that you cannot look on the face of God and live. Now, another kind of a connotation in the Bible languages about glory is the word weight. And, and, and a glory is a kind of word that implies heaviness, substance, substantiality. And, and I think of, of a crown as something that sums all of that up. You know, a crown that is radiant because it's made of gold and heavy because it's made of gold and speaks of a reputation because you're royal. And in, in the, the book of Revelation, it depicts the kind of the, the elders kind of laying down their crowns before God, kind of giving God the glory. It's kind of like taking off my self-worth, my self-esteem, my radiance, and laying it all down before the one from whom all these things come, to whom everything else is subordinate, the glorious one. And so when we, we pray the Lord's Prayer, we've started with a petition to our Father, We've, we've, we've acknowledged who he is. We've, we've prayed prayers of petitions. And now we're summing it all up and saying, this is who you are, God. And my right relationship with you stands as a creature before a creator, as a subject before its Lord, as something insubstantial and fragile before the glorious, eternal, ever-living God. At our 8 o'clock in the morning service, and yes, we do have one at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's been a grower, and we have breakfast after it, and you're welcome to come. But um, we had, um, our sermon today was by, it was, was shared by Neil Ebrook, who's an old friend of mine. And he read for 8.5 minutes a chapter of C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. How many people have ever read that book? It's a great book, actually, isn't it? And it's an imaginative picture of um, heaven and hell. And the kind of, that kind of phrase where heaven is becoming more real and hell is, and, and people in, in the chapter, they, get, they kind of, in that book, they, it depicts people in a kind of hell-like state who get a chance to go on a bus trip to heaven. And um, some of them find that changes their perspective and their, their destiny. But um, in C.S. Lewis's imaginative work, hell is very insubstantial. But heaven is very real. It's more substantial, it's more dense, it's more glorious. And the creatures of heaven are glorious, substantial, heavy creatures. In fact, a blade of grass is so real, it's hard for a ghost from hell to walk on. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a picture of Jesus when he, the risen Jesus appeared and walked through walls. Not because he was insubstantial, but he was more real than the walls. 
You know, there's a weight of glory. And there's some, there's some verses in, in 2 Corinthians which explore glory. And Paul, as he's writing there, talks about the glory that came from the Old Covenant, that came from the law of Moses. In fact, he talks about when Moses went to get um, the, the Ten Commandments from God. When he came down, he'd been with God and he became glorious. In fact, he became radiant. His face was shining. He had to veil his face. And, and Paul goes on to say, and it's a bit of a pun if you'll pick up what I said. Um, he talks about the fact that we're, um, well, I'll read the verse from the end of chapter 4. He says this. We don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So there's a little bit of pun there. You know, the, the light troubles that we have are giving us this heavy glory, and it's worth it all. So there's a little bit there about fame, a little bit there about glory. And how do we work this out as we pray the Lord's Prayer? Well, first of all, fame stands in opposition to shame. Prestige stands in opposition to dishonor. And it's right that we, the people of God, draw attention to God and give him fame. Maybe God isn't honored rightly in the world because actually the, the, the Christian tradition speaks about the enemy of God, Satan, who wants prestige and power and glory for himself and almost wants to rob God of it. And that in some ways there's a battle for the glory of God on planet Earth. And the people of God, as part of our spiritual warfare, are giving glory to God. In other words, we're drawing attention to who God is so that everybody, the whole of creation, gets back in a right relationship with God. Now, honestly, when we see creation, it's very easy to give glory to God, isn't it? If you're in a place without light pollution and you look up at the stars and you see the heavens, the work of God's hands, what is man that you're mindful of him, the psalmist says. But you give glory to God. If you're by the ocean and you see the, the vastness of it and the beauty of it and the power of it, you give glory to God. If you're ascending mountains, if you're in a, in a place of, of beautiful foliage and fauna or whatever it is, when we see creation, we give glory to God. It's sometimes, you know, we can be a bit dazzled by technology and give glory to man. Oh, isn't man clever? Look at this incredible iPhone I've got. Look at all these incredible social media pictures. You know, whenever we look at the stuff that human beings have made, actually God has always done the hard bit. My wife is a great cook. When she's congratulated for, for the dinner she's made, well, she says, well, God did the hard bit. You know, we can't make anything. We can't create anything. The very substance of our technology comes from the stuff of the earth and the wisdom and intelligence God has given us to, as human beings to work things out. But ultimately, it's from him. Every good and perfect thing comes from him. When we acknowledge that God is worthy of it all, then actually we're seeing the world sensibly and appropriately and rightly. To God be the glory. But there's more than that. It's not just the natural things that give glory to God, but the supernatural things give glory to God. You know, do you remember when, when um, Jesus had word that his friend Lazarus was sick to the point of death? And he said, this sickness is not unto death, rather it's for the glory of God. And whenever Jesus did miracles, signs of the kingdom were for the glory of God. God gets glory. In fact, anything that we do with our lives for the sake of God is to give glory back to him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your 
let your good deeds, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When the church is doing its job well, when we are appropriately caring for the poor, standing up for justice, loving one another, it's not because we're a fantastic bunch of human beings, it's because we've met with God and God's been at work in us and God has called out from us treasure. So he gets the glory. We don't get the glory. It's about him. Anything good that we do, he gets the glory. And we want to always be pointing to the Father, which is what Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus was always pointing to the Father. The Son could do nothing by himself. He could only do what he sees the Father doing. My hero, John Wimber, who is, um, was an American pastor, founded the Vineyard Movement, had an amazing ministry in signs and wonders of the prophetic. And people would sometimes kind of praise him, give him glory. He said, look, I'll take the encouragement and I'll pass on the glory. That's a great motto for us as church, isn't it? When we do something good, let's take the encouragement and pass on the glory because it belongs to him. You know, we, we don't take any money for praying for the sick if they get healed because we can't heal anyone. We don't get, take credit for, for being generous with the money because where did that come from anyway? Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Having said that Jesus gave glory to God, Jesus actually laid aside his glory that he had from the beginning in the Godhead and became flesh and blood. We sometimes sing, you laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered upon the cross. You know, your glory veiled. We, we, Graham Kennedy put that line, your glory veiled. Your, your, your glory was veiled for a while. The glory of God in Jesus was veiled. More than it being veiled, actually Jesus deliberately took a place of shame and dishonor. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a criminal's death. It was a disgraceful death. And a Roman citizen was, would not be put to death on a cross. That was only for slaves and rebels. A Roman citizen would have an honorable death. He'd have his head chopped off, like Paul did. Um, still not fun, but, um, you know, but, but the, the death on the cross was deliberately shameful. It was naked. It was exposed. It was cruel. It was degrading. It was linked with insults and taunts. If you're dying on the cross, you must be nobody. And yet, even on the cross, there was something written over Jesus by Pilate in three languages, in the languages of the known world, in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. This is the king of the Jews. You can't hide the fame, renown, the glory of God when you do your worst to Jesus. But of course, Jesus who took that place of dishonor and shame for us so that we could not be held in shame and dishonor. But, and I'll come on to this in a minute. Before his death on the cross, which actually in some ways is his glorification, his coronation, there was a glimpse of it beforehand. Do you remember the time when Jesus went up into a mountain? Just like Moses has gone up into a mountain, comes shining. Jesus goes up a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And there he meets Moses and Elijah. And this is the Jesus that we should recognize. This is Jesus as he deserves to be. There's Jesus. And the first thing about him, he's radiant. The Gospels record he shone brighter than any, anyone, any dye merchant could make his clothes white, whiter than white. Like a personal advert. You know, he was there, he, he shone. 
And at his right hand are Moses and Elijah, the heroes of the Old Testament. And he has renown. And more than that, the voice of God himself speaking from a cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. The praise, the glory, the renown, the radiance is there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Jesus goes in shame to the other mountain of the cross, on his right and his left, not Moses and Elijah, but two dying criminals. We've seen the glory. And we're going to see it again. The risen Jesus is glorified. He shines and his reputation is going to the ends of the earth. It's not enough just to be king of Israel. He's king of all the earth. And that's why the pictures of the risen Jesus, the imaginative pictures of the book of Revelation, see Jesus bright, shining, eyes like fire. Because he's glorious. He's the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world and is now being raised on high. So, okay, so here we are then. What does this really mean for us, apart from the fact it puts us in the right status with God? Now, at the beginning, I said, when we talk about yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, and it all belongs to you, God, sometimes we can look at that and say, is, that a bit, is God a bit needy? Does God need, need lots of praise and affirmation because he's got a poor self-image? Of course, that's rubbish. It's more about just saying, this puts us in the right relationship with God. This just acknowledges us. It's a bit like, you know, if, if I was playing football with um, Lionel Messi, and um, it would not be inappropriate to say Lionel Messi is a better football player than David Mitchell, if it's just really appropriate, you know? Um, so it's, a, it's about appropriateness. But here's the thing. We're followers of Jesus. He's our first love. He's the... He's the that the, the first fruits of, of all that God's doing in the human race. And Jesus, who preached the kingdom, and who said, I can't do anything by myself, and gave God the glory, actually is the one who God gives the kingdom to, and who sits at his right hand with power and authority, and who is glorified and glorious. And you know what? Because we're followers of Jesus, we get also to share in the exclusive prerogatives of God. God gives to us kingdom, power, and glory. We've just said it all belongs to him. But when we give everything to God, what we find out is that God gives back to us. It's when we die to ourselves that we really get life, when we try and hold on to it. If we try to abrogate for ourselves kingdom and power and glory, we won't have anything. But if we give it all to God, we will find we have everything. So kingdom. We have a place in the kingdom of God. And our destiny is a royal priesthood. That's, what, that's who we are. And Jesus gives us power. When he said, when the Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. And what's more, we will be glorious. Our destiny is to shine. I've already quoted you from 2 Corinthians, which talks about being changed from one degree of glory to another. As followers of Jesus, we get to shine. We're going to be shining people. That's why, again, the imaginative book of Revelation gives us pictures of people clothed in white, symbolically shining. You know, the best truth can be perceived not just factually, but imaginatively. And that's why it's, it's really important to engage with something like Revelation, with our imaginations, not just seeing as a factual thing, but something that's meant to call out from us a, a, a poetic, a deeper understanding of the truths of God. You know, and um, we're, we're, we're called to shine. Right now, actually, some of the people shine. Have you ever seen shiny Christians? 
People seem to have a radiance about them, an inner radiance. I remember years ago, Malcolm Mugridge, if you remember him, if you're too young to, most of you, did a, um, a, a, a BBC journalist and, and film crew went to film Mother Teresa. And it was in a place that was too dark, really, but they managed to capture it. It felt like there was a physical radiance in the room. But actually, honestly, that's a picture of what will be, that we get to be shining ones ourselves. We get to be radiant. And what's more, we will get to have praise and renown. Because for us, the last judgment is not about punishment, but about reward. It's about coming home. It's like the people in the talents where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Our resume, God is going to forget the rubbish. He's going to forget the sins. And he's going to remember and celebrate the things that we have become in him, the things that we've done in his name and his power. And actually, we get to have that twofold thing, shining and affirmed by the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to share in everything that is uniquely God's. He gives it all away because you can't outgive God. So there we are. That's how the, the Lord's Prayer finishes. And right now, well, I'd like to pray for you because you are people who are a kingdom people. And you may feel under the cost today. But this is who you are. This is where you're going because of all that you've given to him. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the men and women in this room who are becoming glorious, who are becoming more real, who are becoming more substantial, who are becoming more that you, that you made them to be because as they gaze on you, their faces become radiant like Moses. We get transformed. And Father God, I pray that you'd help us to know who we are, how high our calling is, how wonderful our God is, that we can live for your glory. And as we live for your glory, find that we ourselves become like the moon is the sun, shining ourselves, beautiful ourselves, because of all that you do in us. Help us to get hold of your kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen.